Hi, my name is Elle. And I'm Jared. And you are listening to the New Leaf Project. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us today. We have got an excellent episode for you. I would love to learn how to say Keitha's last name properly. And one day I'm going to. Keitha Ogubwagu. No. Did I get it? No. <sighs> okay. Obwagu. Obwagu. It's such a beautiful last name. Yes, it is. So tell us about your interview with our good friend, Keitha. So we wanted to have this interview because Keitha has been a pretty influential voice around the New Leaf Network, and we wanted you folks to get to know her. Um, and I'll do a lot of intro stuff with her in the interview itself, but um, we just really value having her voice uh, around the table. She is not a church planter, um, she's, uh, but she is a starter. She gets things going. And uh, today is just the intro to what I hope is a series on the issue of race in Canada. I think this is something that uh, we really need to start thinking about. And if we're going to be churches for the Canadian people, we have to uh, begin this conversation, start thinking through this conversation. And uh, Keith just talks very, very personally, and it's, uh, there's some, some very powerful moments in this podcast. So I'm really excited to bring that to the table because I think... Uh, if we're going to ever change, we have to make an emotional connection to this conversation. And I think Keitha really helps us do that. So let's uh, give this a listen. And uh, this is Keitha Abwagu here on the New Leaf Project. Can yes. I get some water? Yeah, of course. I, I have done a terrible job of no, looking after you. No, you don't need to look at I just, I I just also won't. have bubbly water. Do you like <laughs> bubbly water? Bubbly water is like my favorite thing. Okay, and would you like some wine? Oh, I would love okay. wine. Wow, this water is way better now. All right. Hello, everybody. I am sitting here with my good friend, Keitha Abuagu. Um, she is the pastor at Hampton Free Methodist Church. She's a longtime friend of mine and uh, has recently really been uh, getting connected in with the New Leaf Network. You were um, popular speakers at In the Company Women, and I know you're just like, Getting all blushy and <laughs> shaking your head no, but facts are facts, sister. <laughs> you blew the roof off that dump. Um, and you've been uh, recently have started blogging um, on on our, uh, our collaborative blog, and we've completed some podcasts together. So I just want to talk about a, a little bit about your story, where you're from, and uh, talk about sort of the role you're, you're, you're playing in the New Leaf Network and and why why this conversation matters to you. So why don't we start kind of at the beginning. Now, uh, uh, your parents are were not born in Canada. Uh, they Tell us a little bit of their, their story coming to Canada. So both of my parents are Jamaican uh, and they met in uh, the Toronto area. My father came to Canada to finish high school and my mom came to uh, do her nursing degree and they met somehow fell in love and um, had children and 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 lived in Sudbury for so they lived in uh, Barry for uh, a long while became Christians there mm -hmm. actually with the Barry Free Methodist Church and um, then moved to Sudbury and there's this woman who she remembers when my mom kind of stepped out of the car and she was like, uh, let's go back. Because <laughs> Sudbury in 1983, I think that would have been, I would have been about three years old. 
um, was quite different than Sudbury today. Yeah. So it was rock, it was mud, it was barren, and it wasn't um, very populated, and it was just completely different than what she had what she had known from before. For those who uh, don't even know where Sudbury is, it's, it's uh, sort of the middle of Ontario. Uh, it's considered northern Ontario, although it's not particularly... Northern, it's probably what, uh, how, many, how, how many hours drive north it's of Toronto would it be? four hours from Toronto. From Toronto. Uh, it's, a, it's a mining town. Um, and honestly, like, uh, before there, there was sort of regulation around the mining companies and things, it really looked like the surface of the moon yeah. there. Um, very barren, very uh, wasted. Yeah. In the eighties, I could imagine that. And black, be... black, black rock. That's yeah. when you know you're you're heading home. Is when you start seeing the, the black, rock the black rocks. <laughs> so you grew up, and it's it's uh you know it's made famous by the that uh, Stomp and Tom song, the Sudbury. Yeah, Saturday and the big night. nickel. Got yeah. it. Yeah, the big nickel. That's the place you stopped on your way um, through from the west to the east. Yeah, and and it, it has a bit of a reputation of being kind of working class, a mm-hmm. bit of a rough place, and not, uh, shall we say, particularly culturally diverse. At the yeah, it's. I mean, it's changed quite a bit. So it, it currently, yes. Yes. <laughs> but back back in the day, it was definitely known only for mining, and even today, it's a mining town. It's. It's that's yes. its source of income. It still is, yeah. And and so you grew up in Sudbury, and and you were uh, a, a minority of a minority of a minority. You, so growing up in Sudbury, and I mean my experience is different than my sister, different than my brother. But uh, <clears throat> we grew up in a Jamaican home. Mm-hmm. My grandmother lived with us, and she was very Jamaican. Mm-hmm. My parents were Jamaican, but were more open to the two cultures kind of coming together. But I remember when you went home, grandma was in charge and uh, we ate Jamaican food, mm-hmm. mostly. Uh, we... Like saltfish, aki. Yeah, aki and saltfish, stew peas, um, oxtail, mm-hmm. all of these things. Like, that's that. what... Yeah. That was our food and curry yeah. goat, of course. Yes. And when you would say that you eat goat and your friends' reactions were like, oh... <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, oh, doesn't everyone? Doesn't. <laughs> and the answer is no. No, they do not. Um, but yeah, so we kind of grew up in these two mm-hmm. worlds. So one, uh, we grew up in the Jamaica home, but then we grew up in the very um, non-Jamaican world of Sudbury mm-hmm. on the outside. So yeah, it was kind of an interesting um, dynamic. And on top of that, we were into a, even a more of a microcosm because we grew up in a Christian school of okay. like, I don't know, 60 kids. So my sister would have great stories about how that damaged her. But to me, it it didn't really affect me. It's probably the reason why I'm a pastor today. Thank you, Sudbury Christian School. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, uh, you, you wrote that. How did that... Uh, happen for you oh I always say that the call to ministry was like this big long line so I was a teacher uh, I was teaching in uh, private Christian schools um, uh, in Sudbury and in Nova Scotia but all along from childhood um, I always had this sense that God wanted me to do something and so growing up 
I knew that when God asked women to do something, that meant he wanted them to be missionaries, which is a, a worthwhile endeavor to go uh, around the world and to tell people about Jesus. And I would always have this picture of myself, you know, sitting with children around uh, and it would, you know, I would end up, I was sure I was going to end up in Africa um, working and being a missionary. That's where all missionaries. That's go. where all the missionaries go. They do yeah. not go to China. Okay, no. so, uh, so uh, that was kind of the the what I envisioned uh, in my mind was that this was the life that I was going to have. My mm-hmm. parents tell stories um, that when I was quite small, that I would always talk about um, God wanting me to do stuff, and that you know, um, and that I would be preaching to the kids in the neighborhood or I would um, be having like church with the animals so my pa- with the stuffed animals and stuff <laughs> so my parents they say that you know from a young age I talked about what it was that God was asking me to do um, and it wasn't until I sat down with another female pastor who was also at the company uh, in the company of women when she said she was a pastor and it all started to click together almost as though God was saying, and that's where you're going to end up. Um, Mm -hmm. And so um, through a series of events, here I am uh, leading a church in Saskatchewan. Okay. You will. You're going to have to fill in a couple blanks. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) because that's, uh, that's, that's also weird why you're here. But uh, the, just going back to that, because I think that was a very powerful piece, uh, a discovery for me, and I think for a lot of people at, in the company women, was the role that that powerful women have played in women experiencing your calling, mm-hmm. and also the role that men were playing in your life as well. Um, there were there were several pastors who, who believed in you. Yeah. Uh, Gary Landers, for instance, and mm-hmm. he kind of gave you your shot. Uh, yeah. Yeah, in Sudbury. So uh, probably the first one was Terry Gibson, mm. uh, who was my pastor when I was in, I feel like I was in high school, maybe not. It's hard to remember all the way back then, but mm-hmm. he was very encouraging. And he was the one who, who said, you know, you really should look at going to Bible college and encourage, encouraged me along the way. And even after he had gone on to another church, was still asking what are you doing? You know, what kind of leadership? What are, what are you thinking about? Um, and then Gary Landers, who was my mentor, um, was very, very influential in um, helping me to stay focused when um, when I would say, well, maybe this isn't going to work out. Um, and he was always reminding me. He said, Keitha, you have this gift and you have this calling. Um, and gave me, like you said, gave me the first opportunities to preach. And I'm not sure if he'll remember this, but I think my my first sermon in that church, I preached on the entire book of Habakkuk. And I remember his thing, feedback eh? was, you can just preach on a few verses at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never forget, yeah, trying oh. to preach on the entire... Wow. <laughs> it's a short book. <laughs> Yes, but yes, yeah, but he was always <laughs> encouraging and um, encouraging and empowering me to do this, um, regardless of naysayers, etc. around us. And so when you moved from Sudbury, which was sort of your family church, the church you grew up in, yeah. uh, and you moved out here, you were single at that time. Mm-hmm. 
and um, uh, so you're a single black woman moving across the country, and you wind up in Saskatoon, which is increasingly culturally diverse, but it, it definitely has a very uh, white feel to, to the city. But, you know, also there's the, the largest off-reserve Aboriginal population. Um, and I think when, when I think of Saskatoon Free Methodist, when you first came, it was, it was a, it was a very monocultural church. It yeah. was very reserved prairie farmer type. Hope I'm not insulting anybody by saying <laughs> this, but it really, that's, it, it definitely felt that way. And, and I'm speaking now as an Easterner. I grew up in, in Ontario, just like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the churches that I belong to were. Uh, when I moved out to Saskatchewan and when I started preaching out here, like it was emotionally exhausting because I always felt like I was putting it out there and getting nothing back. It's like a... It's different. Yeah, yeah. it very... Like preaching out here really is. And that's something yeah. I, don't, I don't think a lot of people realize is the different regions of Canada have very distinct personalities. And Saskatchewan is a very... Um, well, it has a farming history. It has a very... Uh, uh, European style reserve to it and um, uh, I remember preaching at, at our family camp and uh, someone came up to me afterward and they said oh man I loved your preaching it was so funny I'm like really well next time tell your face because they were all <laughs> arms folded and and, <laughs> and it looked like a scowl but they were they were laughing on the inside so I'm just curious Keitha what was it like? <laughs> well, moving across the province. You know what's interesting is growing up in my Sudbury church with you know, um, it was more charismatic, mm-hmm. uh, and even you know for the denomination it was fairly charismatic in the way that it was right, right came about. Uh, you know, I could you know let loose with preaching and it was totally fine. Um, it was. And just there's a, that emotiveness, that, that yeah, it charismatics. Was, it was more emo- like, yeah, emotional. Yeah. If yeah, that makes absolutely. sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, so coming to Saskatchewan, uh, to Saskatoon Free Methodist, I just remember sometimes being like, you guys can clap. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now I've just stopped clapping myself. But um, oh. <laughs> but uh, it was just quite different. Uh, and being away from home and all of those things. But... Um, but great people. And that was probably what's kept me here for almost, I mean, coming up to nine years. That's great. Is just great people who um, were willing to take a chance on a young 20-something who's no longer young 20-something um, at the time. And to go through with my big ideas and mm-hmm. say... We think we agree. We think we agree. We agree. Let's do it. And uh, it's been exciting to watch them make some of those changes. Yeah, because when you were first here, you were your church was in a um, an industrial mm-hmm. uh, like region. Yeah, um, it was it in was, an industrial park. I remember yeah. someone saying, uh, "It's easy to get to, but impossible to find." Yeah, and. And then you guys had always longed to be a neighborhood-oriented church. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the most convenient place and easiest to get rent and buy. 
but eventually you guys moved into a brand new neighborhood in um in the north end of saskatoon called hampton village yes so what's interesting is that that building was was not totally gifted, but really given to the church at a great price from from someone who had been a part of the congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also kind of knew that they weren't going to stay there. And I tried to move a few times, but, you know, not planning to stay there turned into over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I came, we started talking about moving. And the church I had been a part of before had just moved. And I was like, I don't think I want to do that again. <laughs> it's a lot of work. A lot of work. Um, there's a lot of risk. Um, not everyone wants to come with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seemed to be this reoccurring theme. And so I came in 2009. And between 2009 and 2012 was really this, are we going to move or are we not? And we went from no to looking at buildings to putting our building up for sale um to finally kind of digging some ground um i believe it was 2012 that we did that to opening in 2013 in a new neighborhood and it's just been phenomenal to see some of the changes now of course not everyone came with us and um our honeymoon period of the neighborhood is is slowly slipping away four years later but it's been remarkable to see what doing church in a neighborhood looks like versus just kind of um, having people drive in from all over. Um, yeah. It's just uh, so much opportunity to invest um, in place and to invest in seeing good happen all around you. And so we spend, we've been very intentional about helping people in our community connect with our congregation um, and to connect not just with the congregation, but also just to connect with our building. And um, we've taken, which has been fabulous. We have 42 families who, um, some who come to the church, many who don't, many who don't go anywhere, who come and just love our preschool teacher and love um, the environment that she creates. We have this wonderful play group um, that is a mix of women from the church and the neighborhood that has just developed into wonderful relationships and friendships. Um, and yeah, it's just been a phenomenal experience. One of the things from, and we don't have time to go into all the ways that Hampton, uh, well, it used to be called Saskatoon Free Methodist, mm. and now it's Hampton Free Methodist. So you named it after the neighborhood. But one of my proudest moments was when you guys took the building plans for your newly constructed church and you gave them over to your community for consultation. You said, what kind of building would you actually use? And to, to be so community focused, I think is, is absolutely brilliant. And your church has actually become more and more multicultural Mm -hmm. uh, over time as well. And that's uh, a, a, a relatively new thing here in Saskatoon that a lot more uh, immigrants from all over the world are, are coming here to work in the mines. And, and uh, for a while there, uh, Saskatchewan was really cooking with gas economically. Mm. And, uh, um, and your church has changed. But let's talk a little bit about your involvement in the New Leaf Network because I think there's a, a few things that you've been exploring um, that... Uh, uh, you've chosen to do publicly that I think are very, very powerful. So um, uh, one of those is uh, y- you've been exploring um, 
uh, on on the blog. You're you're a, a regular contributor there. Um, you've been exploring uh, several issues. So why don't you talk a little bit about how New Leaf uh, has helped you, uh, or at least given you a platform to to think those thoughts out loud. So um, one of the things that I've written about, and I haven't written a ton yet, but I have lots of ideas uh, mm -hmm. in my percolating. But one of the things I've written about is um, about being a female pastor, being a female mm -hmm. leader in the mm -hmm. church. And how, on one hand, we are, you know, we're in this, this era where, you know, women are, are being um, invited to come and to participate. It's good for organizations to have women leaders right. at the table. But just being at the table is not the same as being welcomed to right. the table. And so um, I, I looked a little bit at the difference between invited and being welcomed. And, uh, you know, honestly, Jared, you're one of those great voices that is very welcoming to women um, in whatever setting that we're at. Um, but it's not always been that way. And so it takes some some maneuvering sometimes just to for people to kind of get over the fact that first you're a woman, second you're a woman who's a pastor, and third you're a woman who's the lead pastor or the solo pastor, depending on that category, and kind of like their shock on their faces. Um, and then sometimes it that leads to, well, I disagree, or it leads to, um, oh, you're welcome here, but not with a sense of that we actually want you to contribute. Um, we want you just to be here so it looks, so we can take a picture and have one woman out of 10 men on right, on the right. cover of the, of the picture. Um, but it's something that I, I feel, I feel that the, that God places me in some of those situations as someone who prepares the way for others. And so I, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to sometimes be the only woman there because um, I want other women to be welcome in the future. You've also written about um, uh, issues of race in Canada because there is a, there's a strong temptation. I find Canadians love to congratulate, um, which is its own, uh, you know, very serious problem. Uh, but we do have race problems in this country, and that's something you've been exploring. And I think it's in part because uh, one part of the story we haven't filled in the blanks on is you're not a single woman anymore. Mm -hmm. You're married. And uh, you two have just had your first kid and mm -hmm. uh, another one on the way. But like holding, you, you mentioned that that, that that change in your life has, has, has been transformative in terms of wanting also to explore um, what race looks like in the Canadian context. So why don't you talk a little bit about some of that new discovery for you? Uh, when, you know, my, my husband and I, um, my husband is uh, African, he's Nigerian, and then I come from this um, Caribbean background, but very much a Canadian in terms of, you know, grew up here and this is home. Um, so we both come at parenting from this perspective that we are black and we are Christians and we are a part of the Canadian culture. But we also come at it with this recognition that racism is a reality. 
And so um, I know for myself, I remember when um, I held Samuel, our, our, our oldest, and I remember holding him and just having this sense of responsibility to pass on to him the same kinds of things that my parents passed on to us. One, this, this pride that you can do whatever it is that God has asked you to do. You can be all of these things. So not, not lingering in terms of um, I can't because I'm black, but also recognizing that there are barriers because of your skin color um, and understanding that this is the world kind of that we live in. And I remember um, due to kind of a change in the climate in the last year um, from the things that we hear from the States, um, which are, um, I will say the light and there's a shadow of it in Canada. Um, I just remember just being a little bit in mourning about the world that my son um, is going to live in, recognizing that he is going to um, probably face some of the same challenges that um, that I face, that my husband faces. Um, just recently, we had an uh, encounter at a at a gas station, or he had an encounter. I wasn't. I was out of town. Where your he, husband. my husband, yeah, where he was. Your young, um, your 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 one year old wasn't. My one year old was with me. Your, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my husband was um, pretty much accused of stealing a, a ticket for car wash for the car wash, and his you know compl- his complaint about the car wash ticket not working escalated into um, the person in the gas station saying, "I'm going to call the police." And, and when my husband told me this, he was humiliated. Um, he was humiliated that... It, 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 and for no other reason than being a black person standing up for, for your rights, for something that is common, that mm-hmm. people do all of the time. The ticket doesn't work, you take it and... Um, bring it in but instead of having conversation was um accused of a crime mm. and i just know um unfortunately that that is the world that i have given birth to a son in mm-hmm. um but i have hopes and dreams that one day as you know dr martin luther king said that my son and my husband and myself will never be judged based on the color of our skin, but will always be judged based on our character and our actions mm-hmm. um, to things. Um, and it, and we're not, and we're not there yet. And Canadians seem to think that we are, but we, but we aren't. And um, um, myself just recently within the last year had, you know, I was in the store, had spent probably $300 and, you know, people are coming in and out of the store and then I am stopped um, and asked to have all of my bags gone through and my uh, receipt checked. And when I ask the person, I say, how come you're not checking everybody else? Their reaction is, are you suggesting that I'm racist? And, you know, sometimes you just want people to acknowledge that it is not fair. You want to ignore, you want people to acknowledge that the system doesn't always line up. And I probably should have, you know, called the manager and done all that, but I was just so frustrated and so angry that this had happened. And and it wasn't 
so I don't care if you want to check my bags. I don't care if you want to check my receipts. But then check everybody else's. Right. Why are you singling myself out um, and not and not others? So, um, yeah. So these are experiences that are very present. Um, they still happen. Um, and people people feel like you're complaining or that you're taking things too far or that you're being um, overly sensitive. Right. But when you grow up with this understanding that the color of your skin is enough um, to make you um, stand out as a criminal, to stand out as someone who's done something wrong, to stand out for wrong reasons, or to stand out and for people to be shocked that you haven't done these things, to be shocked that you speak the way that you do, to be shocked that you have the career that you do, to be shocked that you've accomplished the things that you do. Um, both sides are equally... Um, demonstrative of a Canada that still has a long way to go. And I would say that for black Canadians, um, that we have one story, and then I see what's happening with our Indigenous brothers and sisters, and I think, and their story is just so much more um, traumatic, or even more so traumatic. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just long for the day for white Canadians to say, this is real, mm -hmm. and this is happening and it is not just a figment of, of minorities' um, imagination. I think that's so powerful, Keitha, because that is, uh, that is something that I, as a, a white person, I've really struggled to, uh, to push back against in my own heart and in my own experience because I, there is a tendency as a person, when I'm trying to relate to you as a person, to to say okay did that ever happen to me and then well yeah i was stopped at canadian tire and they look at my receipt and they make the little marker thing um and there's a there's the, there's it's a damaging uh kind of conversation in which i'm erasing your experiences mm -hmm. and that's that gaslighting phenomenon we keep talking about which is that uh white people um i think especially in that situation you were just talking about, we would prefer, we are more scared of being labeled racist mm. than dealing with racism. Mm. We are more interested in making sure nobody thinks that of us than uh, actually fixing the biases. And like the math is just against people thinking we are a post-racial society. Right. There, There's no way mathematically that that makes any sense. Um, I, post-racial in terms of black, post-racial in terms of First Nations, those just are not facts. Yeah. Uh, and other matter. minorities. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think what makes the Canadian conversation very distinct is obviously uh, slavery did not play as big a role in our history. Mm. Not to say there wasn't slavery, but it, it, it just fundamentally changes uh, so many of these conversations. And one of the great exciting things is that you're there uh, sharing your voice you're there uh, talking about your experience and I as a white person it having access to that information is really important to mm -hmm. me uh, because I realized very quickly I was not educated properly yeah. as a Canadian what my sons and I'm proud to say this my sons uh, when they go to school they know so much more about mm. First Nations culture 
than mm -hmm. I ever had access yeah. to. And I hope that that is a trend that continues mm -hmm. in our education system because I ask them questions and they answer it for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I, I appreciate your voice and, and thank you so much for, for being willing to, to uh, blog for us. Mm. And I just wanted to add to that conversation about your sons. Um, I think, you know, we hear a lot of conversation about there's a fear of political correctness, like mm -hmm. political correctness is taking away our freedoms and all yeah, of these things. Yeah. Um, and I think it's not so much that political correctness is taking away anything as much as it's just adding a level of empathy mm -hmm. into the world saying um, it matters how you speak about someone mm -hmm. it matters how you speak to someone yeah. it matters what you think about the person as they mm -hmm. walk into the room or as they leave the room and that we're trying to have this next generation not be so um focused on the stereotypes but we're asking them let's get to know humans right. let's get to know people let's get to know one another and to make um and just to come together and i think that's going to be some of the change is people like your children and my children um, having opportunities to be able to look at the world through a lens of empathy and compassion and understanding of one another rather than through a lens of um, us versus them. Absolutely. I, I, I think there's something that uh, we was, was part of our understanding around uh, how we wanted to run the Free Methodist Church and church planting and things like that. Uh, there was some very key concept. And I had grown up thinking that colorblindness was actually um, a virtue. Um, and I later realized that <laughs> it's actually a way of erasing some important information about someone's experience. Um, it's better than being overtly xenophobic or um, it's better than, um, you know, uh, the the other kinds of thought processes that, that all human beings engage in. Um, but there is something to, to understanding people's experiences that I think are, are so key. And that's why you being willing to share your stories and contribute in the way you do is a, is a gift. And I know that a lot of people in, in the company of women uh, saw you do that from the stage. Um, now, you've been a big cheerleader of the New Leaf Network. Uh, and we really appreciate that from you. Um, and part of the reason we're doing these series of podcasts to kind of introduce, introduce and, and interview contributors is we want to know what is it about what we're doing that has, has helped you and why have you decided to, to, to hop on our platform to, uh, to explore these issues and, and tell your story? Well, I think one of the things that's unique about the New Leaf Network is that it's Canadian, right? And um, so often when you read stories about the church um, or about social justice or other social issues, um, it comes from an American perspective. And when we read things that only come from an American perspective or hear things that only come from an American perspective, we miss out on the fact of what is actually happening within the borders of Canada. Mm -hmm. And it makes us kind of sanitize mm -hmm. um, the Canadian perspective. We say, well, Canada doesn't have racism. Canada uh, is very empowering of women. Canada is um, this or that. 
Um, but I think when we get to actually look at what's happening, one, we get to celebrate the uniqueness of Canada. What are the great things that are happening um, here? And what are the great things happening in our churches across um, across the country? But then we also get to say, where is it that the church needs to step in? Mm-hmm. Where is it the church needs to have a stronger voice, whether as individual congregations or as individuals, um, to make change so that Canada really um, can represent this idea of the kingdom of God being represented all around us and coming to life among us. And I just think that having space to project those things is, um, is powerful and it just has the opportunity to create some um, lasting change. Man, I've been holding that cough in for a while. Oh. <coughs> wow. Okay. I'm all right. I'm not going to pass out or anything. <laughs> so, um, uh, let's uh, also talk about, um, and I, I think we're, we're getting to the end here, but there are, uh, do you have any words of encouragement for, um, for women, uh, for um, other leaders in the Canadian church, uh, why they would want to, uh, get involved in some of the stuff that we're doing. You have any, anything you want to say to folks like that? Well, I am always a cheerleader for women in ministry. Mm -hmm. I am always excited when they show a sense of interest in, um, what it is that God is speaking to them and whether they become pastors or become just active, um, actively engaged in their church and seeing their churches do things that are um, that are positive, that are um, leading the way forward. Um, all of it just gets me excited. And so I just love to encourage um, women and just let them know that um, your voice is important. Your presence is important. And as people in different circles will tell you that your space is to be quiet, that your space is to be silent, that your space is to keep your head down um, and not create too many waves. And I think if you look at scripture carefully, you will see um, that it is much the opposite. Um, If you think just about the remarkable story of Mary, um, Mary is uh, this quiet woman doing her going about life about to get married and do everything the traditional way and then god steps in and says and you're going to have this baby um and it just upsets everything all around her and i mean for all we know could have upset things for her for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. um and uh she made a phenomenal difference we think about mary magdalene who my father um always reminds me of Uh, Whenever someone says, you know, women be quiet. And he just reminds me all the time that, you know, Mary was the first um, to be sent out and to go and tell the world um, about the resurrection. And he and my father will say that is exactly what you are doing is you are being called to go and tell the world that Jesus is alive. And um, I just think um, if God has given you a passion, if God has given you a burden, if God has called you to something, own it, do it, go for it. Do not allow the voices around you to keep you down. Rather, allow the voice within you, the Holy Spirit, to be the one that guides you and empowers you to move forward. Um, 
There is nothing greater than um, that sense of obedience and being able to live out your calling. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, thanks for being on the show and thanks for all you do and the way that you contribute uh, to the ongoing story. Those stories matter. Thanks they so really much. Do. That was a great interview with our friend Keitha. I hope that you enjoyed it. Jared, tell us a little bit about why this was why this was an important interview for you. Well, I think it's important to uh, continue to introduce introduce the voices that are uh, featured on our podcast, and and Keitha is becoming an increasingly important voice uh, in the Canadian church, and uh, we're excited to to watch her rise that way. Um, you know, I think that uh, in terms of church planting uh, questions, starting questions, faith in Canada questions, this story of of the uh, daughter of an immigrant family coming to our country, um, uh, settling, and then being engaged in ministry is a really important uh, conversation for the New Leaf Network to have because there is a profound difference between first generation newcomers and second generation and third generation and all kinds of, of really fascinating and important uh, truths for people to get their heads around. I'm really uh, also excited about uh, another podcast that uh, is coming from some really great friends of the New Leaf Network. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, our great friend Bernard Tam. He's based in downtown Toronto. He's a church planter uh, with the name of his church called The Living Room. And um, he and some friends started a podcast called the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. And essentially, they're talking about the same the same kind of ideas of 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 planting churches, of what it means to be missional, what it means to be in the neighborhood, but from a perspective of, um, of, you know, immigrants, some of them were born here, some of them moved here when they were very young. And so it's, it's really an interesting part of Canadian society to talk about what the Asian experience is like, um, in faith and in church planting. And, uh, it's, it's a great group of guys and I know they're doing some great stuff. So feel free to check it out. Um, it's a great group of people and essentially it's a, a great compliment to the stuff that we're doing as well. Um, and the stories that we're sharing. So I love hearing Canadian stories. I love hearing stories from Canadian perspectives and even perspectives that, you know, I'm, you know, I grew up here. I, my, my parents are, you know, third generation Canadians. I come from a, a family of third generations Canadians. So it's a completely different perspective from what, uh, what I'm used to. And I love learning about different, different people here in Canada um, with different experiences. So if you want to check out more of what Keitha has to say or what Bernard has to say, go on our website, go to our blog, search up their names. They're uh, both regular contributors to us. Also pay attention to, to some of the stuff that's coming out by Rohadi Nagasar because there are a number of uh, Canadian voices, like you say, that are, are talking about this, uh, this very important experience. And if the church doesn't get this right, uh, I don't think we have uh, the future right. So uh, thanks for tuning in to the New Leaf Project. Uh, L, if people want to get involved more in this podcast, if they want to uh, know more, what, what do they do? Check out our website. That is where we've got all our goodies. So newleafnetwork.ca. Check out our events page. We've got lots of events coming up in the next couple of months. We would love to see you out. Um, some uh, events that are happening out west with the nuns and duns. So check that page out. And if you've got a story for us, if, you, if you've if you got a story you want to share, a person you think we should interview, send us an email. You can send it to myself or Jared, l at newleafnetwork.ca or jared at newleafnetwork.ca. But feel free to connect with us on Facebook as well. We just want to make sure that we're sharing the stories that are important and highlighting the important voices um, here in Canada. All right, friends, take care. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.